Who says tech can't be human? I'm not perfect. I need to share who I am with people and not be afraid of what they think. Welcome to the Hacker Valley Studio Podcast. Axonius has crossed the chasm, the first company to solve the cybersecurity asset management problem. Gartner has recognized cyber asset attack surface management chasm as a category in their hype cycle for network security 2021 report. Axonius gives its customers a comprehensive, always up-to-date asset inventory, helps uncover security gaps, and automates as much of the manual remediation as you want. Take a look at Exonius and give your teams time back to work on the high value cyber initiatives they were trained to do. What's going on, everybody? You are in the Hacker Valley studio with your hosts, Ron and Chris. Yes, sir. Welcome back to the show. Glad to be back again. In the studio today, we've brought with us a special guest, a guest that's actually been on another podcast of ours, Metaversable. In the studio today, we have Evan Mayfield, an Academy Award-winning 3D animator and director. Evan has also founded, along with other members, Kingdom of Dwarves NFT Project, and we have quite a few dwarves on our side. Evan, thank you so much for joining us, and welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, fellas. Uh, it's a pleasure to be on here. I'm a big fan of the show and uh, just excited to have this really interesting, casual conversation with you guys about, you know, whatever comes up. Evan, 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 you're one of my favorite people of all time. But for the folks out there that don't know who you are just yet, would love to hear a little bit about your background and what you're doing today. Absolutely. So I guess the best place to start would be, you know, something that I identify most as, which is an artist, you know, kind of growing up in a home where um, art was a, a big deal. That's how I spent my time. That's how I occupied my time. I wasn't really a kid who, you know, watched a lot of TV or played a lot of video games. I played outside a lot. But when I wasn't outside playing or, you know, doing those sorts of things, fishing, you know, all the things normal kids do, I was drawing. I loved it. It was such a passion of mine. And, you know, very quickly in school, I was that kid who was like, oh, draw a tattoo for me or draw me a picture. And I liked that because it kind of set me apart from my peers. And I continued to pursue that. And I ended up getting pretty good at it at a year early age. So yeah, that along with music kind of in tandem is a big part of who I am and continues to be so until this day. So so take us back to the early times when you were doing art for people, they were asking you to draw for them because you've done it a, a few different times, being able to like build and create for other folks. Tell us about when it really became like a lifestyle for you. When did it become your occupation, your trade craft? Tell us a little bit about that story. Yeah. So, you know, I continued to draw and paint all throughout school. And then towards the end of high school, I thought, man, this is really something I'd love to do for a living. But we all know the whole starving artist <laughs> conversation, like we've all heard that. And that was very much on the forefront of my mind. But it's just like I said, it's something I've always been passionate about. 
thankfully, you know, I was raised by baby boomers and we have this, you know, we have this similarity in thinking, you know, the way baby boomers were raised, you know, their, their parents, you know, were kind of tough on them and, but wanted to give them the best that they could. And so interestingly enough, I found that that generation really loves taking chances as well. They love really taking risks. And so I feel like they really get my generation, you know, I'm 36. And so they encouraged me to pursue what I was passionate about and, and really leaned into that. And so I did. Uh, I submitted uh, to a few colleges for art and music. And so I really had this idea that I wanted to design characters for movies or draw characters for movies. So I submitted to an art school. At the time, I didn't realize it was the best animation school in the country. And so I thought, you know what? I'm just going to give it a shot. Here's my portfolio. I hope I get in. And at the same time, I submitted to a music school in Nashville. Because like I said before, I've always been big into the music scene as well. I grew up playing music. I play quite a few different instruments and sing. And I do all kinds of things kind of in that realm as well. So I wasn't sure which one to kind of go with. So I said, okay, I'm going to apply to both of these schools. And we'll see what happens. If I don't get in, I don't get in. And then my, you know, my path is very clear. And I, I ended up getting into both of them. So it just got more confusing for me. Um, <laughs> but I, I, did, I just felt a leaning towards more of the, you know, animation sort of side of things. And so because that one was a bit more difficult to get in, I figured, why don't we start there and see how that goes? So that's what I did. I got into art school and I started my animation program. And, you know, all along the way, um, you know, to, to better answer your question, I'd been drawing tattoos for friends. I hadn't been charging, but I really loved, uh, you know, the kind of the tattoo thing. And so a lot of my friends, especially from that era, have my tattoos on their body, which, which is uh, interesting to see nowadays because yeah, whether crazy. they kept up with them or not, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. They may look like, uh, may look a little uh, weathered at this point, but <laughs> so that's kind of, you know, I started kind of sharing my art in that way. Right. And um, in college, I started painting on the streets for people to kind of also raise some money for college. So I would, you know, I'd post up down at the uh, marina and, and just start painting boats. You know, I'd set up in front of a boat I liked and just be, be practicing my painting. And sure enough, after a day or two, the owner would come out and say, hey, I really like this painting of my boat. And I'd say, that's great. Do you want to buy it? And they say, yeah. Sure. So, so I kind of, would, I would generate some funds that way. I'd also do that at, you know, people's businesses, I'd post up outside of a restaurant, paint the restaurant. And before long, the owner would come out. And so it was a really cool way to meet people. I love meeting new people. And that was a way to kind of generate some cash flow in college. Post-college, I was very fortunate in 2009 to, it was a really tough time. If you guys remember here in this country, you know, we had a lot of things going on economically, but I was fortunate enough to win an Academy Award for my student film. And during a very difficult time when most of my peers weren't getting jobs, I was offered a job at Sony Pictures in LA. So I relocated to LA and I jumped right into the film industry and started animating on, on movies. And, um, you know, I've worked on quite a few films and commercials and AR and VR and a variety of things in that regard. So again, continuing to use my, my creative outlet to, to be able to, um, you know, finance and support my life as a young person, you know, I was 18 at the time, 
when I started. And so it was nice to be able to actually have, you know, a career doing this thing I've been pursuing my entire life. That kind of transitions, I took a little break somewhere after five or six years in the film industry. I got really burned out and I said, you know what? I want to start my own company doing something. Yeah. So I started taking old electronics from like the early 1900s all the way up until about 1950. And I would start turning those into lamps. And it's just crazy. I really love this idea of, of kind of pioneering new things and things I haven't seen before. I just, it really invigorates me uh, doing that. So while I was at the very end of my stint at Disney, I decided to bring a couple lamps in to sell for a show we were having. It was like a day where you could bring in whatever crafts you make and, you know, your fellow artists could look and see if they wanted to buy your soap or, you know, whatever it is that you make. And when I was making these lamps, you know, there were a few celebrities in there that day who were recording audio and I had a few come over and buy some from me, which I was like, I was not expecting that, but it was pretty cool. And of course I had some peers buy some and I was encouraged by that. So man, off, off to the races, I went with that for a few years, just building these one-of-a-kind lamps and selling them to high-end home goods stores around LA and pursuing that. And that brings me right up, basically, I mean, we've skipped a lot in between there, but <laughs> <laughs> that brings me right up till today, about six months ago, and I got together with some friends and we started an NFT project called Kingdom of Dwarves. And yet again, here we are kind of in a different avenue, um, <laughs> kind of exploring and pioneering again, new new spaces and new ideas. And we've got this amazing project, uh, like I said, called Kingdom of Dwarves, where we're making uh, a full collection of 4,000 different dwarves. And for the listeners, you may be thinking like, what are you talking about? What, what's a dwarf? <laughs> um, <laughs> but if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, you know, if you've ever seen fantasy movies, um, that's the sort of dwarf I'm talking about. They're a fantastical race of creatures who, you know, who live in mines and they, you know, they mine uh, precious stones and things like that. And so that's what we're doing for our NFT project. And, you know, it's, it's been really incredible to just kind of go through this process of exploring and, and trying new things and seeing what the public likes and seeing what they don't like. There's been a lot of failures along the way, but, you know, I'm still standing. Yeah. Uh, many years later and and just excited to continue to try try new things. Yeah, you really took us on a journey with you uh, with that story. I felt like at certain parts I was with you, especially when you when you mentioned putting in the work as a as a starving artist and doing it just because you loved it, but then ultimately getting that recognition that you really were hoping for and and worked so hard to to build, maybe not just for the recognition, but that's always a, a nice side effect of it all, the academy award that you got. But I would love to hear more about what kept driving you as this starving artist. What within you about working with art really fuels your hunger to work on it, whether you're getting paid or not? Yeah, that's been a journey in and of itself. You know, I'd have to say early on, it definitely was about being set apart. Right. I, I, to be completely honest, I did like the attention that it got me, like, because there weren't that many kids doing it. And it, when you're young and you're in grade school, like you're looking for something to identify with. Right. And um, I'd say early on, I really liked the, that aspect of it, that it kind of set me apart from everybody else. Everybody else knew that was my thing. 
right? We're all looking for our thing. And, and I would say that's how it started. Um, and then the drive changed, right? As I kind of, as I shifted gears and kind of went into college, it was a prestigious school. So no longer am I the only one who's known for art. Everyone from their respective towns are like the rock stars of the art scene where they come from. And so, um, you know, being able to identify with that solely was no longer there for me. So I think it, it changed to being, uh, I, I don't want to fail. You know, this was a really tough school where, you know, some classes were pass or fail. And if you didn't pass, you had to take that year over again. I mean, really intense. And it became a lot about making sure that I made it, that I didn't have to take, you know, a year over again. It was very expensive. And I just, I wanted to, I wanted to succeed. And so, you know, those four years were about just making it through, just surviving and doing the best I could. So that was the motivation there. And as I've gotten older and I guess maybe wiser and I've kind of settled into my career, there's been a few different things that motivate me along the way. One of them now, you know, I've been married for 10 years. So providing for my family has become a big motivator for me. I want to make sure that I have enough time for them, but I'm also doing the best that I can so that I continue to get work because I, I am a freelancer, you know, and anybody who's a freelancer in any regard in any artistic endeavor knows that, you know, you've got, you've got to be putting out your best work. In some cases, you're only as good as your last project and, you know, in, in regards to whoever your client is. And so, you know, drive there is obviously providing for my wife and three kids. I'd say also along with that, Drive has a lot to do with just continuing to, to, to make something that I'm proud of, I would say is a big one. There never really was a time for me specifically where I felt like I needed to, I don't know, I guess I, I see a lot of my, you know, people that I work with who are trying to like prove something to everyone, you know, or they want to have notoriety and say like, look at this movie I, I worked on. I feel like that was completely lost on me. I never really cared. I don't know why. It's just that's, I just don't, I didn't have, I never really cared. It was more just about having the opportunity <laughs> to work on stuff and to be able to say, hey man, like I'm an artist and, and I'm, I'm doing it and I'm not starving and like, it's going to be all right. I feel like ended up being more my posture, if that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. But I also think that there's nothing wrong with like wanting to be seen for the work that you you've done. You have this really incredible story about the Academy Award that you won. And it's really a story about determination and grit, betting on yourself and believing in yourself. Ultimately, I'd love for you to like share with these listeners this story behind the Academy Award win. Yeah, man, that's a that's an emotional roller coaster. That one, you know? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, it's, it was unexpected, but something that I feel like people, when they get to know me, they realize about me is that, you know, I'm a really hard worker and I'm a perfectionist. And those two things, when you put those two together, it, it can be overwhelming for people <laughs> to either a work with and b be around. I mean, it's just, I get so wrapped up in what I'm doing and so to kind of launch into that story just a bit, I was going through college. And like I said, I was just, I wanted to do the best that I could. 
And this was a really difficult college. And I just wanted to make sure that my senior film was, a you know, the greatest representation of what I could do, because this is what, you know, Disney, Pixar, DreamWorks, Sony Pictures, you know, any studio you can think of at the time, they were looking at these students coming out and saying, let's see their student film. If it's good enough, we'll hire them. And so that's what I had in my head. You know, I, I, I want to make something that, that I'm proud of and that hopefully studios see something in me that, that they want to they hire me too. And so I, I worked on this student film from inception, you know, drawing the characters all the way through to the end production where I'm putting music on it, sound effects to delivery. And I did it all by myself. Um, we would have reviews where, you know, st- fellow students would kind of give feedback and teachers would give feedback. And man, it was really tough. And there were times where, you know, I, again, some of these classes were pass or fail. And there were times where I cut it close based on their opinions of my work. It wasn't based on, you know, you know, technical facts. Technically I was, I was, you know, producing what I needed to, but you know, art is subjective. And in in this particular school that I was going to, you know, if the teachers collectively didn't think subjectively that you were kind of getting where they wanted you to, they could fail you. And so the stress, I can't even (laughs) begin to explain the stress that surrounds that sort of thing, but it it was intense. Um, And so anyways, I got through the whole process. I made my student film. It was done. And I was incredibly proud of it because I felt like it really exemplified the fact that I wanted to be a character animator. I thought it looked, I was really proud of it. And then the time came for said uh, teachers and professors and head of the department to select the few that they were going to submit for the Academy Awards uh, to best represent the school. That time came and they selected a few and I wasn't one of them. And, you know, I, that didn't upset me necessarily, but as a few days had passed, I really felt like I got mad. And mm. I wasn't mad that they didn't select me per se. I was mad that I wasn't getting a chance to also have someone outside of the realms and confines of this college to have a chance to tell me whether or not it deserved an Academy Award, right? It was more just like, nah, that, that, that doesn't sit right with me. Like I, so <laughs> in a nutshell, basically, they selected a handful of students. They took their art, they took their, their film, they wrapped it up in a nice pretty bow. Back then you had to put it on um, a special cassette to then be sent off, which was very high. It was like a high quality tape that was sent off. I forget, I forget what it was called. What was it Betamax or something like that? I forget. Yeah. But anyways, they did all of this stuff for those students and sent it off. And I said, you know what? I'm going to do that. If they're not going to, you know, if they're not going to do that for me, I'm going to do it because I'm proud of what I made. And I feel like I deserve a chance. I didn't even really talk to them about it. I just packaged it all up myself. I had the tape made. I put all the information together and I sent it off myself. Um, yeah. And a couple of months later, I get an email saying, Hey, you've, you've made it to the next round of, you know, the, the judging for the student Academy Awards, call it collegiate level Academy Awards. 
and I'd completely forgotten that I'd submitted. And, um, (laughs) (laughs) and I was, was, I was, I was like, I was blown away that I'd made it because there were multiple rounds that had to be shown at all these different festivals around the country in order to make it through to the next round. And that continued to happen over the next few weeks. It was shown in different places, regionals, and they continued to get emails saying, you've made it to the next round. And at this point, (laughs) faculty had found out that I had done this. And it was a strange sort of thing because I wasn't the one they'd chosen, but I was the one who was moving forward. And the ones that they had chosen hadn't gone anywhere. So it was a little awkward, right? Yeah, I bet. Um, And so I'm getting some pats on the backs from some of my peers who are like, man, I'm proud of you for doing that. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm... Thank you. And I'm surprised that it's happening. Um, And so long story short, it went all the way to the end and I ended up winning. I ended up winning, winning an Academy Award. I did the whole thing where they flew me out to LA. I met all these famous directors. It was like a week's worth of festivities. And in the end, I actually gave my speech from the podium, the one (laughs) you see everyone giving speeches from. And I'm like, I'm freaking out inside, right? Because (laughs) you got the sea of people out there. They just watched my film. I'm 18. Like, what am I going to say that's so profound from that right. stage? You know what I mean? Like, and um, yeah, that that that's exactly what it was. Very surreal. My 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 parents flew out with me, and this is my first taste of LA. I'd never been before, so it was very overwhelming. I was terrified. That's the story. This podcast is sponsored by PlexTrack the proactive cybersecurity management platform, bringing red and blue teams together for better collaboration and communication. FlexTrack makes cybersecurity teams more efficient, effective, and proactive to help them win the right security battles. Aggregate security data from all of your sources, centralize remediation efforts, and deploy a purple teaming platform that facilitates your tabletop exercises. Claim your free Purple Teaming research report and book a demo of PlexTrack by visiting plextrack.com forward slash Hacker Valley. That's P-L-E-X-T-R-A-C dot com forward slash Hacker Valley. I never would have dreamt when I submitted that that I was actually going to make it there, and I did, so... Yeah, it's it's a thing. true story of advocating for yourself, really believing in your abilities, believing in your work, whether or not it's the best or not. You you believed in it and you pushed it forward on your own. And I'm sure that's one of the challenging things about being an artist is you you build this piece of work that you really appreciate. You have this confidence that other people are going to appreciate it. But then someone comes to you and then they suggest you to change it. And they suggest you to maybe even make something different. I'm sure that you ran into this a bit, you know, building a bigger project with Kingdom of Dwarves and having a founding team to also support the the idea. I'm sure there's been areas to where the team has to pivot in an artistic direction. How do you approach, you know, the feedback and the recommendations that people give you as an artist? But how do you also approach giving your feedback and recommendations to other artists? I think it depends on the capacity that I'm working at. In, in the commercial world where I'm animating a commercial for you know, Clash of Clans or I'm doing something for you know, Apple or wh- whoever, I find that for me, it, 
it really depends on what my role is. And I think I've, I've kind of moved into this new mental space where, you know, maybe before it was more difficult. I mean, you have to grow a really tough outer shell if you're an artist making art for other people. You have to be able to take constructive criticism. They're going to tell you to change it a million times. And in the end, they're paying for it. So you should do it and you shouldn't do it with an attitude. And so I learned that really quickly, um, kind of working as an artist in the industry. And so as a contractor too, you have to also learn, and you have to, this is very difficult. As you said, you have to learn how to advocate for yourself. You can't be a doormat. So while you are doing what they're asking you to do, you also have to be very vocal and clear about what's, what's possible and what isn't within the confines of the budget or the time. That's something I've had to learn over time as well. And so when I'm giving feedback to someone or someone's giving feedback to me, I, f- I hope and I feel like I do that pretty well. And I, we can always get better at that. Um, and so, yeah, I, I definitely love to get feedback. But at a certain point, as a leader of a project, as a founder of a project, you have to take all of that information in, really absorb it. But in the end, you've got to make a decision. And so I think that's probably how we operate specifically with the latest endeavor with Kingdom of Dwarves is, you know, as the art director, you know, we have a, t- we have a very interactive community and they have direct contact with us through Discord, which is great. I love mm-hmm. that. And I'm constantly getting ideas and I love, I welcome those ideas because those ideas only make us stronger. All of those brains working together are going to make something and come up with something much stronger than what I can come up with alone. And so we have this very open door policy of you've got a great idea. Tell us mm-hmm. we want to implement it if it makes sense in the grander scheme of things. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's really important to do that. And even along with that, I let, we just finished up our postmortem uh, for season three, where we had the team members come in and tell us what, what, what we did well and what didn't go so well. And I think that's necessity when you're building a company, but also when you're in this creative endeavors, because you need to have outside say it's really important because that's how you get lost if you don't have those, those sort of interactions. 100%. Feedback is really the gift that enables you to get better every day, every year, every project. I do have a question about why the NFT space? Why did you decide to do this project on Web3? You could have done it Web2. You could have done it the, the traditional route, but you decided to take the step into a new technology. What was the push into it? What made you decide that, yeah, this is the space in which we're going to build out the story, this community, and ultimately the art? Man, I mean, I, I could ask you the same question. You know, it's like, why are any of us in this in this Web three space? I mean, yeah. I know, and you're you're in it. Like, how did you end mm-hmm. up here? You know, I. It was an accident. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> I, I would say it's a, a a bit of accident, bit of right place at right time. I remember me and Ron, we were sitting on a daily stand up. Uh, we we meet daily, and he said. Hey, Chris, we're about to get in the NFT business. And I was like, what? <laughs> he was like, tonight. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So we sit down with this meeting with a bunch of other folks about to b- launch a project. And they said, uh, hey, we want to we want a podcast featuring like NFT stuff like Web3 cryptocurrency. And I have no clue about any of this stuff at all. So I was like, Roger that. Let's do it. 
And so we spin up a podcast in about 24 hours. And the questions we ask in that very first episode were literally not just questions we thought would be great for new people, but these were questions that I actually had. I was like, all right, so so what is this NFT space? Why do we use Discord? Uh, what's a rug? All these questions weren't <laughs> for the audience. It was for me. I, it literally chronicled like my journey through this entire NFT space. And I, I tell you what, when I found Kingdom of Doors, it really did ruin me from a lot of other projects because the thoughtfulness, the intention, the attention to detail, both in the art, but then also in the community building and even the the lore that goes behind it really like captivated my attention. And so I think it's such a great thing that you did do this in the NFT space, but I see the applications, the community, the arts, the lore going far even beyond the NFT space and becoming something that people enjoy on the big screen, on the little screen, in books. So yeah, that's really why I asked the question. Well, I mean, I my story is similar to yours. Along with that, you know, I kind of... Man, I very much happened across it as well. I stumbled into it. And anything that's innovative, anything that is like pushing the confines of what we understand as society, I, I, I see as an opportunity. Um, I in no way consider myself a technical person. The fact that I'm a computer animator, that term shouldn't be used for what I do. Like I, I scraped by on the technical aspects of that. I'm very much very much a creative artist and I use that side of my brain. Mm -hmm. But along with that, the thing that I love about the NFT space is that it is so new and a lot of things haven't been done yet, you know? And when I look back over my career as a, you know, artist, a lot of the things that I gravitate towards were things that hadn't been done yet. And I love, that's so exciting to me. And, I, and maybe it is to other artists. I, I'm not sure. Maybe it's that creative brain, but when there's an opportunity to do something people haven't really done before in the way that I'm going to do it, there's few people kind of playing with it. It's an exciting endeavor. It's an exciting space to be in. And I think that's why, you know, when my brother-in-law Thomas approached me about being part of this project, I thought, man, this is really cool. And I started kind of researching like you did and I had all these questions and I, and I really found a space that was going to be perfect for bringing in something new to the NFT space. And what's new about Kingdom of Dwarves? A lot of the things you're talking about, but we're, you know, we wanted to, I, I wanted to bring film quality content to the NFT space. I was seeing stuff and it wasn't done very well, you mm -hmm. know, and, and there wasn't much, much story behind it. And I, and I thought, man, that'd be really cool if this was, you know, really story driven. And like you said, we were very intentional about what we're doing. It's not just like, oh, here's some accessories. Here's a balloon hat. Right. And like, <laughs> here, you know, like here's a, a golf club. It's right. like, nah, like <laughs> the stuff we add, each element actually has a storyline behind why we're making it. So when we're making a sword, it's not just a sword. Or when we're making a, a hammer, it's not just a hammer. Like it's a soul crushing hammer and it has a story behind it. And and it makes sense in the greater scheme of things. So I saw an opportunity and an avenue to tell stories in a new way. And that continues to evolve. I've never been a part of something in a creative endeavor where it just keeps hitting me like waves. Like, oh, wow, look. So we've got NFTs. We can tell a new story this way. Oh, and look, here's a Discord. You can actually have live events where you actually tell a story and people can interact live. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Well, here's... 
you know, here's a metaverse. We can all get together as dwarves and hang out in a tavern and go up the side of a mountain to learn about the next season that's coming out. Like right. new way of telling it just continues to be this eye-opening, creative, new way to tell stories. And I love that. People should definitely check it out if they haven't seen the art. There's someone that's probably listening that's hearing your story and they're like, wow, Evan is so courageous going out into the unknown and doing things that haven't been done before. But some people have that personality that there's a little bit of fear there. There's a little bit of vulnerability that has to take place for them to enter into the unknown and do something that hasn't been done before, but then to also show what they've created, whether it's art, whether it's book, whether it's an invention, whether it's a song that they produced, anything really, but to show that to the world. What piece of advice would you have for those folks that need a little bit of encouragement to step out into the unknown? Man, that's a really, really, really good question. I think the simplest way I can put it is just do it. Just do it. Yeah. Do it the first time. You're going to be terrified. It's probably not going to go very well. People may say that they don't really like it. Don't worry about that. Do it for yourself. Make the art, whatever that art may be. And, you know, if someone likes it, that's just icing on top of the cake. You know what I mean? Like if someone buys it, that's just icing on top of the cake. Do it because it, and you know what I'm talking about if you're a creative. It, yeah. it invigorates you. It revitalizes you. It's, it's, it, it is part of who you are and it's an outward expression of that. And so I think if you focus on that and then you put it out there, get in the, get in the, get in the rhythm, get in the habit of putting it out there for people to see because you will be surprised what the response will be. But don't, I would say the hangup can be don't base your success on whether or not people like it or whether or not people buy it, or whether they're into it, you know, that'll come as you continue to refine your process. And so as I've gone along, there's been plenty of failures. I started plenty of things where I thought it was a good idea, and it just wasn't, you know, and, and you know, people didn't like it. And that, that part didn't bother me so much. But I just saw, you know, like, this isn't, <laughs> I started a jewelry company where I was making these jellyfish out of sea glass. And had a little success there, but I eventually found like, it's just not a broad enough audience and it's not really worth right. my time. And so I moved on. I feel like a lot of people, they may have tried and stepped out one time and people didn't like it or they didn't quote unquote think it was a success. And then they got kind of scared. And what you really need to do is go, okay, I did that. And the next time it's going to be better. You know, I'm not going to be as afraid. Um, and it's not going to it's not going to affect me in that way. People are afraid. People really 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 I find are afraid of what people think of them. Yep. You know, and to a degree I absolutely am as well. There are things that, you know I'm not perfect, but I think if we get in this headspace of saying I need to share who I am with people and not be afraid of what they think of what I'm putting out there and I think the closer we all get to being comfortable doing that, the world is going to be a more beautiful place. Just put yourself out there. Yeah, the lawyers have already put their paperwork in the mail. So <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. No, yeah. that's beautiful advice. I mean, that's really beautiful advice for anybody out there. Evan, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to hop on the mics with us. For everybody out there that wants to stay up to date with you, the incredible art that you have going on and all the other things going on in your life, what are the best ways that people can do that? I would say uh, hop into our Discord, Kingdom of Dwarves. 
Um, I think that that's probably the best way to communicate directly with me right now, especially on this new endeavor. We're going to be doing this for a long time. You know, hopefully we see this on the big screen soon because that's part of the project is you know, having this make a debut as a TV show or a movie. So jump in Discord. We're all hanging out there. We're all chopping it up, having a good time. And I would be, I would love to interact with you. I love people. I love meeting new people. I think that would be a great way for, you know, to connect with me and not just me, but the team, you know, and um, yeah, that's a, that's a great way. Yes. Hop in the discord. We're also in the discord. You can check us out there too. Evan, for anyone that missed any of your other social platforms, we were sure to drop those in the show notes for everyone to stay up to date with you, all the great things that you're doing. Really appreciate the time and we'll see everyone next time. Hey, thanks, Ron and Chris. I really appreciated it and I will catch you there. If you found value in this content, it would mean the world to us if you shared it on social media, sent it to a friend, or talked about it over coffee.